Welcome to the Asians Redefining Their Success podcast, where Asian professionals share their stories of breaking boundaries and switching into more creative and unconventional careers. I am your host, Yangshi Zhou. Hello, my friends. So, something very exciting happened this week. We reached a thousand listeners. Isn't that amazing? And it's just so incredible to think about because when I started this podcast just two, three months ago, I had no idea that it would reach so many people across the world. So, really thank you for being part of this journey and for tuning in each week. It's really truly an honor and I'm so grateful for you all. And this week we have Adam Kim who just passed 1 million streams on a song a few months ago. Adam graduated from UCSD with a biology degree but decided to pursue music as a full-time career under the alias Keep It Inside. He is also a singer, songwriter, and audio engineer. On this episode, we talk about how Adam realized that music was what mattered the most to him, his number one tip for how to get over the fear of putting your first creation out there, and the behind the scenes of how he comes up with his songs. And let me tell you, you are in for a treat because we literally do a songwriting lesson in the middle of the interview as he writes music for the word water, and I just had so much fun chatting with him, so... Get ready for a lot of laughs and insights. Hey, Adam, welcome to the Arts Podcast. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so I think this will be interesting for listeners to hear is that I actually found you through Asian Creative Network just before the year ended, and then you talked about passing 1 million streams on a song, which is super exciting, and congrats. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about what career you were in, or in your case, you know, what you were studying, and then how did you make that shift into music? Yeah, I'm a musician. I make music, I produce, mix, and originally I was a biology student. So I went to UCSD and studied biology, mostly because, you know, the the whole stereotype with Asian parents, or at least immigrant parents, they want you to succeed and they feel the the highest profession of uh, being like a doctor or a lawyer or something like that is something you should go for. And that was just in my head. It wasn't something that was like pushed onto me, but that's something I wanted to pursue also because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I just got into UCSD as a biology student, which to me, I was really proud of. And every year that went by, I was like, I don't know if this, if this is for me. <laughs> Every class that I was taking, I was like, I'm doing okay, but I'm I'm just imagining myself as a doctor later on, mm-hmm. just being okay. And I don't think that's a that's the right way <laughs> um, to look at being a doctor or something. Someone pursuing a career such that's so much more high profile. I feel like I felt that a person in in any career should really be invested in it, and I definitely wasn't. So funny story. I actually also used to be a biology major. Oh, yeah? I was a bio major for about a semester Mm -hmm. or two. And how I came about it was I basically narrowed down all the options that I didn't want to go after. So, like, not math, obviously, for me. And then bio just became, like, the least objectable major, which, like you said, is not really a really great way to go about it. And then chemistry was really what got me. 
after taking that class, I was like, <laughs> I really want to be a doctor to help people. But after that class, I was like, I don't know if this is it. <laughs> I also, yeah, I was taking the chemistry courses. And, and when I hit uh, organic chemistry, I was just like, I was stressing out every day, just trying to understand the concepts. I didn't understand the concepts until two years after I took that course. So, you know, the process was a little bit slow for me and I wasn't as into it. Uh, but still, I, I had nowhere else. I didn't think of anything that I could go for. Then I founded a Musicians Club. Mm, I saw it, yeah. I founded a club on the UCSD campus with some other people to just create a community for musicians because I have a background in orchestra. And in high school, I played a bit of guitar and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, why not help create this club that unites all these musicians on campus into one area and we can perform together, we can do events together. And as I became more and more involved with it, I started to really love the aspect of having so many creatives in one place and uh, working with them to create something. And I thought it was, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. It was, it still wasn't enough to push me over the edge. Mm. It wasn't until I was a bit of a downslope here, but um, I was hospitalized. So I got sick for about three months with a disease that people weren't familiar with. Mm. And I was in one hospital and then got shifted to a different hospital just so that I could get better care. And everything's fine now. But during that three month period, I would no school nothing to think about except my health and then my parents were worrying for me was when I finally got to like reflect on my life and to see what I valued and what I didn't value and the one thing that really stood out to me was my time at the musicians club that idea of creating something was like a an itch at the back of my head the back of my brain I was like hey maybe you should try this maybe you should try making your own stuff maybe you should try to uh, join a band so after I got better, and thank you to like, you know, all the people at the NIH, all the nurses over there were super amazing. I joined a band. Oh, cool. Like a, an alternative rock band because I was inspired. <laughs> I was inspired by like My Chemical Romance, Simple Plan, Foo Fighters, those kind of guys. Mm. And that was the first time I wrote something and it manifested into something that people enjoyed. I was, I was hosting shows where like we, we just booked a show by ourselves and told people to come to us. And then we booked an entire, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the UCSD campus, but they have a legendary, like quote unquote legendary uh, venue where Green Day played, uh, Rage Against the Machine played called the Che Cafe. Wow. Uh, we booked that show or we booked that venue to over like 200 people. That's amazing. And uh, one of the best and craziest experiences of my life so far. And that basically, you know, that, that was to me, like, this is what I want to do. Mm. And were you studying biology during that time as well? Yeah, yeah, I was. I was still trying to finish my courses, still trying to motivate myself to, you know, finish the degree. Mm. Uh, yeah, in the band, I, I was coming up with a lot of ideas and creating a lot of songs that what didn't really fit the band. So that's when I started to do my own like small project. Mm, yeah, because your main focus is chill hop and lo-fi. Yeah. So yes. I was really surprised when I heard you were in the alternative rock band. I mean, that's that's my base. Uh, middle school, I was 
want to be uh, like, I love the emo scene. That's what I grew up on. So I, I really wanted to emulate that. Yeah. And how did you go about creating music and producing music? Did you take classes? Were you just experimenting? Like, how, how does one go about that? Everybody starts very differently, but I really wanted to dive into it. So that's what I, cho I chose to enroll in a, a music minor at that point. And so I took a course, a production course, where I use a, a digital audio workspace called Ableton Live. And that, that course basically taught me the ins and outs of that, um, that DAW and tinkered around with it. And after that course, I was like, oh, I, I have enough knowledge to, <laughs> to make an EP. So I did. Mm. And it was pretty bad. I, I'm not going to lie. But, it, but I would say the most valuable thing was my group of friends that were like, oh, this is actually pretty good. Like, Yo, Adam, how did you make this? And I'd be like, oh, I'm a producer now. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's that first step that's the hardest. I remember, so I make monthly videos for fun. And I remember the first video I made, I, it was from like Movie Maker. So I'll have a PC then. And then, mm -hmm. and then it was eight minutes. It was so ridiculously long and took me like, at least, I don't know, like 10, 20 hours, if not yeah. more, <laughs> to make it. And, but it's like that first piece is that the thing that really gets you out there. And I think people were probably really impressed the fact that you actually took your class, the knowledge that you got from your class and turn it into something mm -hmm. tangible. Cause I think that's usually the main obstacles that creatives and creative creators have. Yeah. And I, it's also, you know, some sacrifices were made. <laughs> I think I made most of that during finals week when I should have been studying, but you know, I had a lot of creative um, juice, I guess that I like, I really wanted to put it out. If you see my first project file, I'm pretty sure it's the same with your first eight minute video. You probably had like 30 minutes of content, a lot of different cuts that you wanted to put in. Mm -hmm. it's basically my first project file looked like a, a mess like a jigsaw puzzle of like all these different audios so I was like oh I'm gonna add extra effects here um I guess the biggest limiting factor would be if I were to never put it out like because I wanted to perfect it so much there were a lot of things that I didn't know which you know go figure as a beginner mm -hmm. but it was like it was just just telling myself deciding to finish a project Mm -hmm. And after I put out that first EP, that collection of work, even though it was really bad, I was like, okay, people are still going to like it. I have, I have a, a huge margin of error or like forgiveness period. So just put out a whole bunch of stuff, get comfortable. And then I can, when I learn more, I can be a little more choosy. Mm, I really like the idea of just putting stuff out there first and then learning from it and perfecting it along the way. I know a lot of listeners are perfectionists and I'm also like a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> recovering. So I'm curious for you, what helped you finally put that piece out there? Because I know how scary it can be and, you know, thinking about, oh, this is not good enough or what will other people think of me? So what helped you to get over that initial obstacle? I guess I was lucky because I was in the state where I didn't really care what people th thought of me because I was already doing something that's way out of my league. Mm. I just like buried myself into, into the music and found whatever I s made sounded decent or okay. I guess I also protected myself with a layer of, I am now a producer kind of thing. So when I put it out, the people were like, oh, I don't really like this. Or like they would critique 
and I'll just <laughs> I'll just protect myself. It's like okay, maybe they just don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but me putting it out, it was more of a like an opus to myself. Mm, doing it for yourself. Yeah, and I didn't really promote it as much. I just wanted to put it out there. I showed it to a couple friends, and they showed it to their friends. But ultimately. I had to keep in mind that I have no reason to think that this is going to get big, or people are going to judge me based on this because they haven't seen anything before, or like they haven't seen anything prior, and they just have to believe that I can get better. Or if people, if random people see it and they listen to it, you know, if they don't like it, they don't like it, you know, and mostly it's going to be my friends who like it. Yeah, so it's like when you initially launch that thing, you'll probably most likely get support, right? Because only your friends are gonna hear it, anyways. Exactly. <laughs> that's kind of when I started posting on LinkedIn. So that's my primary platform, and I'm pretty active there. I used to worry a lot about, oh my gosh, you know, what if people don't like it, or what if this isn't good enough? Then I realized that because I'm such a beginner,、mm-hmm. my reach is literally not going to be super high, right?、Yeah. Like probably only a handful of people. We'll see it versus now it's like thousands and thousands of views. But when I first started out, it's only a couple people, and so that leaves you a really great room, margin of error to really experiment and explore, figure out your style. Yeah, I guess it's, it's it might be a little bit different in your case because you have a lot of educational content, I guess.、Mm-hmm. But、uh, like for me, I'm kind of free to just do whatever I want. That's true. <laughs> I don't I don't have like a. I guess there's like the idea of like giving a message that could be harmful, but in terms of like creative quality, the I would say like as an artist, the more experience you get, you as an artist have the best idea in mind as like a deliverable product to your fans because your fans are subscribed to you, and your your music is a representation of you as a person.、Mm, I love that. And basically, I just had to keep in mind that. Whatever I put out, I'm gonna put out either something different or something that、uh, the fans like. But they're subscribed to me, and they're they're going along the journey with me. Yeah, and fans actually love going along that journey with you. So, in terms of your particular artistic style and expression, did you start out with what you're currently doing now, or did you experiment with different types of music and genres? So I first started out as a f- indie folk acoustic duo. And then I went to indie alternative rock, and then when I recorded the EP, that was more indie music because I didn't know anything about production or any kind of like digital audio that I could put in. So I just recorded、uh, an electric guitar and my vocals. And then next, I went pretty hard into some experimental EDM. I feel like that's、uh, Asians like to listen to EDM a lot as well. Yes. But it was like more vocal based because I was I was a singer as I'm a singer as well so I I tried to integrate everything, and it was very heavily story based. So I really loved loved the idea of having an album that has an entire story from point A to point B, and so I would spend a lot of time crafting these stories so that I can build all these songs that go along with it. Then later I found out that takes way too much of my time and I lose more fans <laughs> by waiting that long. I guess this is more of like in terms of marketing, because I'm such a small artist. I couldn't keep focusing on albums and EPs. Yeah. So I steered away from that and started to make ballads and stuff like that. And then I found lo-fi, and I was like, "This is such a cheesy 
cheesy uh, genre. <laughs> really? I, I hated it at the beginning. And then my friend was like, hey, I make lo-fi. I need you to sing over this. It's like, you have a good voice. And then I was like, I, I don't know about that. People usually just rap over this stuff, right? It's like, it's lo-fi hip-hop. I don't see why I should be singing. Mm -hmm. And then he sent me uh, some songs or some beats that he made. Uh, his name is Castro, by the way. And I just fell in love with it. <laughs> and I, the first thing he sent me, I, I sang something and sent it right back. And he's like, this is good. It's like, we have something. Wow. And we created a, a small EP together called Stay With Me. It's on his SoundCloud and on Spotify. It was a really fun project. And I started to get really into lo-fi. And I did lo-fi for a bit. And then I steered away from it just to, just to integrate that into what I've already been doing. And so I, I took some like uh, two weeks where I put a beat out every single day and use that time to learn very intensively again during finals week. <laughs> There's a theme here. <laughs> uh, just to learn about that whole um, space because I really enjoyed evoking that calmness in music. And it was interesting to hear that with like a beat going behind it. So it can go, it can go hard and it can also be calming, mm. which I enjoyed. So I tried to integrate that. And then I started to listen to a lot of pop, pop music and how they integrate trap elements and hip hop elements. And pop started really vibing with me. So, so now I'm at the genre that I'm at, I'm at right now. That's really cool. And hearing your journey of how you went about it and changed over time, I think that's really great to know that you don't have to particularly stick with a genre or a style and just be with it forever because I think that's oftentimes what keeps people back is they feel like they have to choose the perfect thing and so they never start so I think hearing your journey is really inspirational in that too I think especially if you're like a smaller artist uh, like me being experimental is it's kind of the time to do it when you grow a huge audience and you have if you have like a record label that kind of forces you to go one genre the whole time you don't you're not allowed that kind of leeway but right now even if you have a song that blows up, that's like one certain genre, that's like a once in a lifetime thing also. So just being true to yourself and going after something that you enjoy, even if it's a little bit different, I think it's worth taking the risk. Mm, I love that. And now is like really the perfect time. I was listening to your caffeine and dopamine song earlier and I saw one of the comments was like this guy's gonna blow up to like 10 million views soon so it's really great that we have you here now before you blow up thank you <laughs> glad to be here and you mentioned that you are also a singer so does this start when you were much younger or did you take vocal lessons how did you how did you become a singer no I did not think that I would become a singer at all <laughs> I started out like when I was in middle school my dad asked me to be like told me that I should be part of the choir but you know at that time uh, to me being part of a choir seemed very I don't know it might be like a very sexist mentality but at the time I was like a, I was a kid it's like oh it's choirs for girls you know and he's like okay then join the orchestra and I was like okay yeah, I have no problem with that <laughs> and so I joined the orchestra and I was like okay I'm just gonna practice the violin yeah uh, over and over again but I never really had the idea that I'd be a singer. I think it was until I went to high school and I saw that a girl that I liked played the guitar. <laughs> Is that why you learned guitar too? <laughs> yeah, that's why I learned how to play the guitar. <laughs> but by the time I got good at it, I was like, this isn't worth it. <laughs> oh my God. 
<laughs> this is like this is so sad. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I took some time to learn the guitar, and but I used it more as an accompaniment to like popular songs. So I took it to bonfires, and I'd be playing Wonderwall, you know. Oh, you were that person. <laughs> I was that person. I will not deny it. <laughs> People would always come up to me like, "Hey, do you know Jason Mraz?" Oh <laughs> I was like, "I was like, of course I do." I'm ready for this. I'm ready for the bonfire music. And that's when I just started singing, um, just to sing popular music with other people, just to have a good time. And I don't know when I, was, I started being comfortable. I think it was, no, it was definitely when I joined the uh, alternative rock band. Mm, did you sing there too? Yeah, originally I was gonna be a backup vocalist because I wasn't confident in my vocals. I wasn't confident at all, but I wrote a song I brought it to our first band meeting, which I don't think anybody does. <laughs> I came so prepared. <laughs> I was like, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. And I brought the, I wrote down the lyrics and I presented it to my band. And the lead singer who said they would be there never showed up. So it was that opportunity that allowed me to, you know, present myself as a singer. Mm. And I was like, hey, I wrote this and I know how to sing it. So I could try. And it was that first trial that people were like, oh, this is good. You're going to be our singer now. Wow, amazing. <laughs> and then, uh, so, so basically I wrote for them and I sang all the music. And every single show that I played, I got a little more confident in my voice. And knowing that it might not be a great one, but I do have one. Mm. And so I started writing and then singing over the stuff that I wrote and then writing more music, producing. And now I'm confident in calling myself a singer I guess <laughs> that's great how did you write those songs how do you go about writing if you don't have any experience like in terms of like my writing process yeah the songs or the you're writing the lyrics too right yeah so from the way you talked about it, it sounded like you just kind of did it but for someone who's yeah. more curious about how you actually do it how does can you just give us a sneak peek of behind the scenes yeah, I think that's a very like popular question amongst um, singers and like songwriters in general, because it's different for everybody. It, even though that's like a cop out answer, it really depends on how you you feel inspired. Because sometimes writing is hard for people, and that's okay. There there are a lot of other songwriters out there that are willing to sell their music. But for me, I originally started with trying to write write first. So I I just have like an idea in my head. So one of the first songs. Uh, popular songs that I wrote was Georgia. It's not really out on any streaming service. I just like to keep it kind of to myself. So when I have a live opportunity, I just I just play it live. It's a special song to me because I, I, I really enjoy it. And I feel like it connects with a lot of different people. But how I started with that song, I was at my friend's house and we were just, I was basically lying down on the floor with a guitar, just strumming different chord patterns. And I said to my friend, you know, here's a writing exercise. Just give me two, two different things that you want me to write about, like two nouns. Give me two nouns right now. Mm -hmm. Said mangoes and bagels. So the, the first, the lyric that I wrote, like from there, I was like, hmm, that's okay. Let's, let's try to think of something. So uh, food. So that's like a cute date kind of thing. And so the first lyrics that I wrote to that song was take me out into the square. We'll have our bagels to share. And I was like, okay, I, I think I can, I can work with this. <laughs> And then from there, I try to build out this the scene of like a nice date or being with somebody and sharing like small experiences together. 
And so overall, I think of a theme with the song and try to match basically the words that I say uh, with the theme. Nowadays, I basically, I like to feel the music first. So it's two very different ways of writing, but I, I'd like to form like a rough structure or skeleton of the song and play it back over and over again. And I, if I have a strong feeling with the song, then I start writing words. That, that's how I wrote Caffeine and Dopamine. Mm. And that, that was like 2 a.m. I was listening to it over and over again in my headphones. I was just writing and I'm, I'm literally drinking coffee <laughs> <laughs> and just hyped up on caffeine and just looking at it. I was like, okay, this is, I like this beat. It's like, okay, caffeine and dopamine. Get, it gets me through the day. Okay. <laughs> do you have trouble with, first, do you have trouble with rhyming the words? And second, do you mostly take inspiration from like daily life, your own experiences or from, you know, imagination? Mm, so I, you have to remind me that the, the first one, but uh, the second question to answer about like my inspiration, where I draw it from, that's kind of calls back to my moniker, keep it inside. Yeah, I was going to ask how you came about that. Yeah, so that it's the idea that when you're talking like face to face with a lot of different people and they ask you, you know, how are you or how are you doing? You know, you just give mm -hmm. a flat answer of like, fine. You don't really tell them what's going on. You don't want to unload everything onto a different person. So there are things that you keep to yourself that you don't normally share. And sometimes it can get it can build up. So like all those emotions and inner thoughts, introspective reflections, that's kind of keep it inside. Mm. And my method of releasing all of that is through my music. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of my songs, they draw inspiration from real life. Not a hundred percent is true. Of course, I like to make it a little more grand or draw, but most of it is little bits and pieces of my life that I like to put in there. And um, yeah, I, I just forgot your first question. <laughs> the first one was, do you have trouble rhyming? Oh, rhyming. Yes, I use, I use uh, RhymeZone all the time. <laughs> okay. RhymeZone.com. <laughs> but the thing is, like, I love playing around with the words because when, you, when you're struggling with rhyming, that's like a, a one element that you can focus on when you're writing a song. There are different ways you can change things up. So when you need something to rhyme, you can also think it doesn't have to rhyme. It can, you can change the melody in different ways. You can extend the phrase a lot longer. So maybe it rhyme, doesn't have to rhyme at the end. It can rhyme in the middle. I see. Or you can just stop so you don't say anything because that, that's a thing that people do. Mm. It draws attention to what you're saying if you just stop talking. So just playing around with a whole different thing. But I definitely, uh, I do have trouble rhyming. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to ask you just a little bit more of the creative process before we dive deeper into how you made the transition to a full-time musician. So could you give us an example, like, on the spot right now about a, like, a sentence and then you just kind of stop? Can we do, like, a little singing? Is that possible? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Or can I give you, or do you want me to give you two nouns? I don't know. Whatever works. Two nouns? It does take some time, so I, like, if you don't mind, like, the dead space, I guess. Oh, yeah, go for it. I'll, I'll do, like, a, like, one small phrase. You could just give me a noun, just a noun. I'll try to do that example, I guess. Water. I've been drinking water, so water. Water? Okay. 
So Adam has gotten his guitar. I, yeah, I guess you can see my writing process right now. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot easier for me to think in terms of music, lyrical writing when I have a music to go along with it. And so right now, are you just playing with different chords? Yeah. So just as I know that I fast forwarded three to four minutes here, but still left some goodies for you like this one. Sorry, I'm gonna blow my nose. Go for it. I hope all of this goes in. <laughs> all of the <laughs> blowing the nose part, <laughs> me going back and forth. <laughs> A true creative process. I think I got something. Yeah, let's hear it. Floating, glowing like water, open my heart is yearning for you. That's all I have. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Yeah, so like that kind of thing were open i should have i should have rhymed at the end or like kept the rhyme scheme of flowing glowing like open and mm -hmm. then heart is yearning closing those kind of things like having that open space kind of leaves you thinking a little bit more <laughs> mm. thank you for sharing i think the listeners will really thank us so <laughs> thank you <laughs> okay no problem so now that we had so much fun going back a little bit more towards yeah your creative process so you just showed us your creative process mm -hmm. and for those who feel like they have creative creative blockers like what, what what is your suggestion for when they're like i can't come up with anything maybe you know what you experienced just now you're like oh my gosh what do i do like what would you suggest them to focus on i read this somewhere so this is not my own personal idea because i definitely had a lot of struggles it's not because you you should have a little more confidence in yourself mm. as like a creative so those times where well at least i feel like i have a like a block or a writing block or you know i can't come up with music i read somewhere that you should choose to see it as more of like a hump rather than a block because a block is very limiting it's just like you can't go further but a hump is like a small challenge you overcome and then you're back in the game yeah and you grow from those challenges yeah exactly and because as a creative especially if you're dedicating your life to it you know what's going on <laughs> so it's like we know more than we think we do exactly yeah when people are tuning in to listen to you uh on whatever platform or people are coming to galleries to watch or to look at your art there's validity to that like you're, you're a valid creator. And mm. I guess, you know, in terms of like for the actual like slump that you, you inevitably may or may not approach, I usually take time off. It's like, maybe it's because I'm so invested in something that I stopped looking at it from a creative angle and more like pinpoint focus on one thing. Um, so I just take a step back, go somewhere, eat something nice, 
or you know take a small vacation for myself i i also feel like for creatives also you're constantly on the grind there's no time for you to just stop and to have pay time off you know mm -hmm. yeah so i feel like we tend to not view ourselves as an employed person and so we don't take care of ourselves as much we're since we are our own boss i'm my own boss i have to take care of my employee me yeah <laughs> that really resonates and in the past year or two i've learned to see that you know breaks i'm also a recovering like super productivity person and i learned to see breaks as a way to self-care and in a sense it's a way to refresh mm -hmm. and breaks are productive in the sense that it helps you become in you know better shape mentally and you are able to be more creative when you come back so those breaks are like really essential not optional exactly i also think for me at least i draw a lot of my content from my personal life and mm -hmm. if i'm not living my life then i have no content oh that's really good <laughs> but i i try not to view it as that i know it, it's like that catch-22 kind of situation everything is wrong situation <laughs> but i just have to kind of go into like a vacation or a break thinking you know this is this is time for me to just not think about or not have to worry about my next piece has to make money yeah and then how were you able to fully transition into being a musician how did that journey look like i know you also mentioned you took on a couple of part-time jobs how was that like? It was a lot of support, a lot of support from my peers, my girlfriend. She told me, basically, if you're not focused on this, then, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> I was taking on, so like during that transition period of me graduating from college, I graduated with a biology degree because my mom really wanted me to finish with one. So I was like, okay. Uh, you you paid for this and you helped me get here. This is the like the absolute least I could do. <laughs> <laughs> and I just graduated with no, the knowledge knowing that I'm not going to use my, or at least from what I know, I'm not going to use my degree for music because I'm, I'm going to be focused on music. But I really, there's not a clear cut method of pursuing something like that. Everything is based on you and what you do and if you get popular you get popular and then you somehow get money for it there's no real clear career path so i was kind of stuck i like trying to develop myself as an artist trying to put out content and also needing to pay for rent and all my bills and my student loans now mm -hmm. so i ended up taking a lot of part-time jobs and that ended up taking a lot of my time and a lot of my energy so I was just doing part-time work and not working on uh, music, even though that's what I wanted to do. So it quickly crept up on me of the, the necessity of money. And so I guess advice, if you're going to go towards music or something creative, have that planned out first. Like even if you, you gotta be willing to live with your parents, you know, or have somebody there that can support you. Mm. Around the time where I moved up from San Diego, I moved up to LA and basically all I was doing was part-time work and barely focusing on music and, you know, hating, hating my situation, regretting t going this route. And then um, I moved up to San Jose, which is arguably worse. 
Um, but uh, I'm here in, right now in San Jose. My girlfriend told me you got to stop with the, the part-time work and focus on your music or else it's not going to happen. Yeah, because what you focus on, what you give attention on grows. And so if you're not focusing on music, then it's not going to grow. Exactly. I, I guess it's a little bit different for other people because I know people, they're a lot, they have more energy, more willpower. But after I, I come back from a long, like 12 hour shift, my body's dead and I don't have any, any creative energy at all. So yeah, so she took, she gave me the realization that I need to focus on this and spent most of my time seeing what I can do to monetize like what I do mm -hmm. and how I can, you know, just focus on this and also create a living out of it. Because that's really my main goal is to have a living out of, out of uh, music and hopefully have it expand, have my own personal, I guess my personal business expand into something greater. And so, oh, so, so that's when I enrolled into school. <laughs> Mm, okay. Yeah, you took a very unexpected and like non-traditional path. <laughs> <laughs> I finished the degree that my mom really wanted me to get. Mm -hmm. And I told her, this is something that I want to do too. And but now I can pay for it myself. Mm. And so when you enroll in school, did you feel like you needed additional training, additional experience to expand your music career? I felt the, the idea of not having a clear career path kind of scared me. Yeah. And what I really loved about school, I don't really like it at, as much, you know, but if you're in a certain degree path or like career path, you eventually get some knowledge on what there is out there. Mm -hmm. And especially community colleges, they do really well in that, um, in that regard and cost so much less money. I don't know why people don't want to go. Yep. But uh, the place that, that I went, I, I went with a, a goal in mind to learn more about the industry from my professors from and network with uh, my colleagues and to know a little bit more technical on the technical side of like how things work because that's, that's, that's the stuff that I wasn't uh, well versed in. And so it was more of like a career, a, a, a personal growth mm -hmm. and networking opportunity for me. Yeah, that's kind of why people go to business school is mm -hmm. for that like networking and that more clear um, path. And I think investing in yourself is so important. I tell everybody that I have two coaches. I mean, I'm a coach myself, but I have a business coach and a life coach because personal growth is important and it's important to invest in yourself. Definitely. Yeah, ba basically from there, I started to look, I, I saw that mixing for other people's music and other podcasts and other just a voiceover work in general that's also a market that I could link myself to and not just music because you know being an artist it's a lot of fun but a lot of luck goes into it too so my passing one million uh, hits on the one song that I have that was a lot a lot of luck it was me it was lucky that I found the the collaborator that I got to work with she, she was she became a fan of mine but she has so much more influence and so much more reach than I do. Yeah. Can you give the, tell the listeners what song it's called so they can check it out too? Oh yeah. Um, it's called How to Live featuring Limbo. 
on Spotify, SoundCloud, everywhere. So how did the collaborator find you? Because even though you got lucky by collaborating with her, you still had to put music out there and she still has to like it and like find you to collaborate with you, right? Yeah. So in when I was putting out music, SoundCloud was a big part of the networking. So uh, people knew each other based on like SoundCloud messages and they had they crafted their own community within SoundCloud itself. And it was there that when I worked with my friend on the first lo-fi collaboration, he was connected with Limbo, the featured artist, and she liked the, the song that was put out. So he told me that she liked the music and I reached out to her immediately. And I was like, hey, I have this song I'm working on. Do you think you'd like to work with me on it? I see. So definitely the networking is invaluable. A lot of people have trouble reaching out too. And so did you just like go for it? Yeah, I just went for it. <laughs> I heard that she was interested and that's mm -hmm. all I needed to hear. And I was like, okay, I listened to her stuff and I really like her voice and her productions. So I was like, I may as well go, on, out, go out on a limb. The worst she could say is no, right? Good for you. I just sent it to her and she responded. So worked out. Yeah. For to get to 1 million, I'm sure you had to do some marketing yourself too, right? So for mm -hmm. beginner musicians who are looking to get their stuff out there, get their music heard, what advice do you have for them in terms of marketing and platforms? A lot of things have to happen. You have to be okay with other people monetizing your work, unfortunately. Oh. Because without that, especially if you're small, you're going to want that bigger platform. There may be different ways in the future, but right now, YouTube is the number one place for music. You would think that it's Spotify or Apple Music, but people still just go to YouTube for music. Mm -hmm. So getting yourself on big uh, conglomerate channels or the aggregate channels that basically uh, curate a lot of people's music, like Chilled Cow, uh, for me, it was Chilled Cow, Avian Music, Ambition, Check Vibe Sound, like those types of YouTube channels that just put out music in your style, get your song on there. How do you do that? Do you reach out to them? What do you say? Yeah, they usually have like a, a submission uh, place where you just go to the link and you submit your song. And usually they go through all of it because that's, that's their content. You, sometimes you'll have an email and right now a lot of people have Discord channels. I think that's a really good way of communicating with bigger channels. You just, cause it's very direct. It's like instant messaging. That's one thing, getting your song on YouTube with those other channels. Even on SoundCloud, they have their own SoundCloud, but reaching out to all these different curators, that's like the big thing. And especially if you're starting out, you have to do that with every single song and you bet you're putting out a song consistently, like either every week or every two weeks, every month. It just has to be, it has to be consistent. Mm. And I guess lastly, engagement because without engaging your audience or talking with different producers that you like in the community, just being f just in general friends with different people, you're going to lose out on a lot of different opportunities and a lot of supporters because the number one supporter for producers are other producers and other content creators. Mm, and that makes sense. then it's going to be other people uh, like regular fans. Oh, gotcha. So other producers and people in the community actually have more impact than your listeners. Exactly. Especially if you're starting out. 
Mm. because they're the ones that are actively trying to engage with the audience as well and they have their own their own group of supporters they, each person has like their own sphere you want to be able to be friends with like a, a whole bunch of these people who will want to promote your stuff who will want to say oh i have a friend who does something like this it's like oh i want to work with this artist just having that being in the back of somebody else's mind especially if they're someone who pushes content that's powerful mm. and how do you recommend going about that because i know for a lot of people again they have trouble with like reaching out making connections they think it's you know might be kind of sleazy and i know for my own clients too sometimes there's these well actually oftentimes there's these obstacles that come up about you know i want to provide value to them but i'm just a beginner so how can you do it in a like authentic way I think it's a matter of perspective, honestly. It's a matter of how you're viewing your conversation. Because if you're if you're just going in there and you say you're you're basically talking to people to build your network, to build your base from the get-go. <laughs> right? And so you going in there and saying, Oh, hey, I want to be your friend, it doesn't really have a lot of um tact. I guess it doesn't have substance to it. Yeah. Because you wouldn't say that in real life, right? You wouldn't just walk up to someone and be like, hey, let's be friends. It's more of be a fan, you know? And that's really important, I think, in music. Be a fan of their music. I got a lot of friends who, I got friends who make music and I don't really like it, but I support them because they're my friend. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm not, I'm not going to go openly say, oh, this is the person you should watch out for. Because I don't really... I don't really, not not care, but it doesn't fit with my brand or my my audience. Yeah. It's not something that I'm willing to promote, but I have other people whose songs that I really enjoy, I play all the time. Those are the type of people I'm willing to go different places and say, if I get bigger and I have a bigger platform, I'd want to, them to rise up with me too. Mm, that's so good. So I would say if you're trying to build network, listen to their stuff, see if you actually like it and follow them and join whatever social media platforms that they do at them on Twitter and say, uh, this video is really cool. Um, be a part of their community and soon they will be a part of yours. That really resonated. I remember when I first started out and I was, you know, really focused on writing and I, Mm -hmm. I heard that it was a good tip to reach out to a lot of people, which I did. But one mistake that I made that looking back now is that I also reached out to the people that I wasn't a huge fan of, but because someone told me that, oh, you should like reach out to a lot of people. That's what I did. And so when you're not really a fan of someone, it's hard to, it's hard to keep that conversation going because you're not really intrinsically interested in it. Yeah. It's also, it's also in a way it's not fair to them because what if they are really into what you do? and you are just not that into their stuff. It kind of creates that awkward <laughs> dissonance between you two. And then all you get is like a no bridge at all. You don't build any bridges. You don't, I guess you don't break any bridges, but it's hard to, if they change their work later down the road, and that's something you like, then it becomes a weird conversation. You want, you want to support something when you feel like you can. Exactly. 
And that way you feel good about it too, because it feels true. It feels authentic. And I think that's the common myth or misconception around networking, mm -hmm. right? Is that you think that you have to like network with everyone and be friends with everyone, but really you have the ability to choose, especially, you know, you are creating your own music, you're, you're your own boss. You can choose who you become friends with and who you collaborate with. And it feels really good when you start collaborating with someone that you really enjoy. Yeah. Especially with the internet, everybody's this, this is the SoundCloud age, you know, everybody's putting stuff out. You can easily just reach out to them via Twitter, SoundCloud messaging, any of their social media engagement stuff, even on Instagram, when they post their picture, you can comment on it or send them a DM. It's so easy to just send a message and uh, especially if you if you really like their stuff. So it's pretty easy to just start a conversation if you want to. Yeah. And so now for you, looking back, what do you think contributed the most to you getting 1 million views or streams on your on that song? I would say that's a good question because I haven't really taken the time to evaluate why. Oh, good. As a business coach, I'm here to help you reflect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when it first started out, uh, it blew up a lot and to a point where I didn't really expect. I think the first couple months, I reached a number that I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> it was, I, it wasn't that much, but I got like 80,000 listens in like two, three months. Wow. Which to me, mind boggling. Like I only got like 1000 views on SoundCloud, but this, this hit multi platforms. So I would say me consistently just being out there and keeping myself present within the community whether it is by like engagement on Instagram, Twitter. I don't like using Facebook, but I have to. <laughs> and, but, and posting music and content on my YouTube page or SoundCloud page and um, Spotify, all that stuff. Keeping myself in the mind's eye of other people definitely helped with the in, um, constant growth of that song. Gotcha. So it sounds like it's not like one of those things where it's a one hit wonder in the sense that, okay, you really marketed this song and it became popular, but it's like over time, the engagement, building up your fan base and being consistent. Mm -hmm. I was particularly proud of th this one just because, I mean, I've never gotten, oh no, I can't say never, but this song reached 1 million without being placed on a, a playlist, like a Spotify playlist. Because mm. typically those do big numbers uh, if you get placed on a one of their renowned playlists. So it was basically all by itself, all natural growth. And yeah, I think that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were to replicate mm -hmm. it, how would you, was there anything new that you would try out or how would you go about it? If I were to replicate like that song? If you were to replicate the success. Oh, the success. That's like, that is the question, right? Um, how do I continue to get these, or get a song that resonates with people? Cause that song, I guess it was, is partially poppy. Mm. And it wasn't a hundred percent well-produced, but it had the support of a big artist or a bigger artist than I did. That was part of the success. I don't give a hundred percent because I won't allow myself to, to lessen my production into it. Cause I spent a lot of time on that song. 
Mm. And a lot of my friends and even Limbo herself, she was like, hey, it wasn't all me. This is like 100%. Just know that you made, you created the song. So all the success is not based on me and my audience. It's like, it had to be good for them to like it and keep playing it. Right? Yeah. But in order to replicate, I, I feel like I need those same circumstances of like having the bigger, odd, uh, bigger artist on there. Or I guess I could reach the same influence as her and reaching out and creating songs in a similar a poppy vibe. I could attain that same level of success as that song. And I'm fairly confident. My goal after that one was to create a song mm-hmm. that... Um, I create 100% myself to mm. reach that level of success. And I, I'm fairly confident I could get there. I super look forward to that. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's really inspirational to hear that, you know, you collaborated with somebody bigger and that it's completely possible as long as you're a fan and you're genuine. So does your mom and parents know about this amazing accomplishment? And also, what do they think about you doing music full time and you know, enrolling in a community college too, because I feel like for Asians, there's this like stigma around that. <laughs> there's, yeah, there is, there's a weird stigma around it. Yeah. I was actually, yeah, my parents do know about it. First of all, they basically, they didn't like that I was, I was pursuing it because I started doing it in college and I was working on music all the time and they would come into my room and just remind me that this is not a viable career option. Uh, like at least once a week and me already having the mindset that like I know this is probably not a viable option but <laughs> I'm gonna do it anyways I had that confidence in myself at least G- got me through that period of time they found out uh, I basically update them on my music yeah. even though sometimes they won't like it um, they don't like it when I curse in songs and they tell me all the time uh, but I'm very fairly open with my family about uh, my music career and all the successes that happened within it. Yeah, it was only when I started gaining success with How to Live that they started to back off a little bit. It's like, okay, I think Adam knows a little bit about what he's doing, but he they would also come in and say, so when are you getting a real job? It It's like, it's a small dig. It gets at your core, but... As long as you're confident in what you're doing, I just live in the live in what I know because they lived in a different time, so their idea of success is fairly different. You can make money on the internet now, <laughs> which was not which was not possible during their time. That's so true. And then, where did that confidence come from in terms of you being fairly confident that even though your parents told you that it wasn't a viable option, and you know, the music industry is unpredictable. Where did the confidence of, okay, I'm going to pursue this full time. Where, where did that stem from? And how do you build that? Because really the number one thing I hear from my clients and people that I talk to is that they have this beautiful, beautiful potential, this gift for you, it's music. And they're second, de- they're second guessing themselves. They're, they have the self-doubt. And because they told me that, you know, they don't feel confident in pursuing it. My confidence comes from my youth. <laughs> me being I'm 25 but when I yeah I'm I'm 25 I told myself at like 18 I was like oh man this is what I have to do biology I have to be medicine and I can't steer away from it because one if I steer away from it like one year 
it might add on three or four years of like of me being like backed up but what's three or four years when you're like 18 years old acknowledging that i'm taking a risk but also i'm at the age where i can afford to take a risk i don't have a lot of liabilities <laughs> you know i don't have a kid i don't have uh, i'm not married i can afford that to myself just to to take a chance on something and when i took the chance i felt way more confident and like this is exactly what i want to do mm that's so good the number one thing that helped me do like this full time was my girlfriend she basically sat me down and she was like hey, i can't live with you if you don't have like a a goal like that is attainable and you taking a lot of these part time jobs this is when i was doing i moved up here and i was doing a lot of delivery jobs so like uber those kind of things i was doing all the time and doing late night shifts so that i could get a little more more money out of it and she she just sat me down she's like hey i need you to look at this look at what you're doing and let's see what you want to be doing in the future and do you think this is a realistic path to that goal and it's like and the only way that i could see myself getting there is if i focused only on there or if i had enough energy to focus on there and so yeah having a good support system um definitely helped uh, i'm i'm lucky to be in a situation where i don't have to worry too much about money right now so that also is a big thing cuz you know not everybody has that kind of opportunity so i just saw it and i was like i have this i'll just going to go for it now that's really awesome and how is it like to be a musician who is also asian cuz i feel like we don't really see that that much so what kind of struggles fears or things that you have to overcome as someone from an asian background how does it all look like i know right now is an it is an exciting time to be an asian to be asian and in the music industry you have k-pop that's like that's booming you have 88 rising that's dominating when i see those types of things it gets me really excited because yeah i grew up with no real asian at least asian american musical influence mm. i grew up listening to simple plan and my chemical romance those are all those are all white guys i only liked i liked a simple plan because they had the one asian dj in the background he produced most of the music but he was the main reason why i stayed and just having just asian icons within the music industry i think is very lacking right now so in terms of like my confidence i've never really thought about it until i had to so like me trying to draw from like other artists i typically draw from usually just whitewashed american influences and i started to think about like now that i'm i have a little bit of traction i'm starting to make some impacts within the community maybe it's not that big but it's a little bit and i want to be able to support those asian americans that are in full well, in on the like the music industry grind trying to create a name for themselves cuz I, i i like that community i feel like it's a bit different from their people <laughs> regular <laughs> regular <laughs> industry what a default or current mainstream yes thank you <laughs> yeah i i especially now 
I, I like the current climate, at least the one that I'm in, uh, where everything's online. I don't really have to talk to people face to face. So it grants that anonymity with different individuals. A lot of people, when they listen to my music, they think I'm, I'm white. I'm like a young white boy, which is fine. I like, uh, I was talking with um, my therapist the other day and he was like, there's, there's some joy with like that mystifying element of them assuming one thing and then finding out that, oh, this guy is actually Asian or he's a person of color. It kind of demystifies some of that element of like, oh, I didn't, you think in your head for a second, I didn't know it could be like this. Mm. You know, so there, there's like some positive stuff with that. I like to make myself known as like an Asian American. There are people that I follow, uh, mainly Keshi, and he's a rising uh, Asian American artist within in the industry. He just got signed with Island Records. And every time I see like positive news about him, it makes me proud to be uh, an Asian American. Just, just people like that, I, I like to go behind. I like for them to be my inspiration and I'd like to inspire other uh, Asian Americans. That's really awesome. What would you say was the one thing that helped you the most in navigating this change towards a full-time musician? The one thing I would say like is, is my peers, the support from my peers. And then the other thing is that time that I had to reflect on what I wanted to do. So giving myself that space, because especially in American education, it's just middle school, then high school, then straight into college, and then straight into grad school, then into your career. There's no room for you to breathe. If you mess up one thing, then you feel like you're losing. Yeah. Having that break when I got sick, unfortunately, but it gave me that time to kind of breathe. <laughs> Although, <laughs> in a weird sense, but it gave me... There were times when I was sick where I was just be like, I'd be being like rolled around in the wheelchair and I get to hear some guy playing the piano. He's just playing Christmas music. And I remember I was like, hey, can we stop and listen? It's like, we're not in a rush, <laughs> you know, I'm stuck here. And so I, that was like the first time that I cried, like while I was, that whole thing was happening, right? Wow. And he was playing the, it was, it was basic Christmas carols, <laughs> I will say. But him playing that song kind of reminded me, this could be the last time I hear something like this. And this is the thing that moves me. So it gave me some time, although in a very different perspective and in a very morbid sense, but it, allowing that time for reflection, I think was really valuable in um, my choice to become a musician. Yeah, it's interesting how that was like a blessing in disguise, right? Because, you know, being in the hospital, nobody wants that. And that was when you really had that aha moment of this is what's the most meaningful for me. Definitely. And I talk about this all the time too. Like I had two particular moments in my life where it was a blessing in disguise. The first one was me actually getting rejected from business school and undergrad, which is interesting because I'm a business coach now. Uh -huh. I got rejected because my grades weren't high enough. And suddenly I was thrown off on the set path. I had to finally like sit down with myself and reflect and be like, okay, what is it that I actually want to do with my life? Because now I can't follow this set path to, I don't know, consulting, even though I didn't even want to do consulting. And the second moment for me was when I moved out from my college on the East Coast to work at a startup on the West Coast in SF. Mm -hmm. 
and I was just graduated and I was actually interning there, which is kind of unheard of, right? Because you're like full-time job after graduation. But I was interning there because I wanted that like learning opportunity. And then I thought it was going to be switched into full-time, but my manager at the time sat down with me and was like, well, I have to request for the meeting. And then she told me that we're actually not keeping you. And then that was when I really realized that I need to take my life into my own hands and be responsible for myself. Because if I don't, then nobody else is going to. Like, I'm the person who cares about my life the most. And so I need to take responsibility. Yeah, definitely. We have the most, uh, it's it's definitely liberating when you have the most say in what happens in your life. Mm. But I will say it kind of sucks that like the way everything is set up, it takes a setback for you to take some time. I wish it was more standardized to be like, hey, take this time to think about your life because what your your decisions might determine the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who like you could have gotten into like that business school and then what would have happened? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't want to think about it. I know I wouldn't be here right now or it might have taken me a couple more years. To get to this point well i'm glad i'm glad you're here now you took the steps that you did <laughs> thank you and this is a question that i asked us um what is a favorite career resource or book that you would recommend for me it was a lot of youtube youtube has been such a great resource in the recent years just because the content on there is there's so much variety you can learn especially within my field, there's a lot of different ways you can do things and learning from different people to see how they, how they make their content and seeing there's some that go step-by-step to see what they do, or they create a song, like as they're doing it, uh, popular ones that I've seen uh, make pop music. They're a really good one, kind of underrated, uh, very low views, but I really enjoy busy works beats. That guy just rambles on, on and on, but like you get little, tiny moments where you just like, oh, I could, I could try that. And then you could take it back to you, uh, what you're working on. Kenny Beats, he has like a recent, or at least the, he, he just did a second season for The Cave, which he brings artists, uh, rap artists into a studio and he uh, just makes a beat for them and they freestyle over the beat. So he had like Vince Staples, Vince Staples was in there, um, Doja Cat recently that's a really fun one to watch to see workflow because that that was important to me because I don't really know what the typical standard workflow should look like and then the Red Bull uh, lab with T-Pain oh (laughs) T-Pain it's been a while yeah he hosts he hosts like a one-hour show with Red Bull and he goes with producers basically he makes a song with them but T-Pain like forces them to explain what they're doing (laughs) it's like hey stop what are you doing right there? How'd you do that? <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of different resources on, at least for like personal growth, uh, in terms of like technical aspects of music production and songwriting and stuff like that. Mm, I'll make sure to link those links in the show notes below. And how do you stay consistent? You mentioned that, especially as a new, as a musician who's just starting out, it's important to release you know song every week every two weeks so how do you stay consistent do you have like a schedule do you plan out your song releases how does that go I do have a rough schedule but if things change I try to be as early as I can I'm still in the beginning stages of of this whole thing so a lot of it is planning stages 
but I still want to be putting out music during that time. But yeah, generally keeping it, keeping a calendar, um, reaching out to different people to kind of fill in certain gaps, taking opportunities like, like yours, uh, to just come on, have fun, talk about different things, reflect on what I've done. And mostly, yeah, mostly it's scheduling. <laughs> I have, I have a whiteboard cause I, I love using whiteboards as like a calendar. And I basically have like small indicators of when I should, should be placing those things. And if I miss those, then like, I have to keep that in mind that uh, I should be uh, putting stuff out. My girlfriend is a big help. <laughs> and so she, she makes me uh, sit down and be like, okay, what's, you don't know, you might not be able to figure out like your two year, what's going to happen in each step, but let's take it month to month. So I, every three months I sit down and like figure out what to do for the next, uh, next three and um, try to have goals set out. So I have like social media goals, content, um, how much content I should push in that month, what I should be focused on, how many people I should reach out to, those kind of things. So very s small scale for now, but hopefully reaching that larger scale soon. Mm. And I know you touched upon this a little bit earlier, in terms of being like a full-time musician, right? You mentioned that you were working part-time jobs before and now you're in school and now you're doing music full-time. So how do you take care of your finances? And for those who want to make being a full-time artist financially stable as well, especially for Asian Americans, it's a question that they often have, like, how do I get to that point? What would your advice be? Uh, never feel like you shouldn't be monetizing. Mm. Because people, at, at least at the beginning stages, they feel like, oh, I have this song, but I don't want to monetize it because it's it's not really a, like a, a song yet. I'm not really a songwriter yet. Everybody's everybody's working on like bedroom pop right now. You know, they're releasing songs that are recorded out of their iPhone with like a ukulele and like in a tunnel somewhere. <laughs> there are very low production songs that are still being put out. And that's a that's a genre. And it, it can be monetized. So monetize early all of your songs. That's one thing. Collaborate with different artists because if you have a different, if you have more of a reach, that's more of an opportunity. Get more streams and that more streams translates to more money. Yeah. When you say monetize, is it like, what do you mean by that? Like all of your content at least um, if it's streamable, you can, you have a right to receive your royalty payments, at least for your songs. Um, that's how many musicians get paid aside from touring merchandise and stuff like that. Their songs, if it gets played because it's your property, you should be paid back every time someone enjoys your, your work. Got it. Does SoundCloud pay you? Or I know for YouTube, there's like ads and stuff that you for monetization but in terms of music like who pays you soundcloud basically every single distributor they collect money from their subscribers and they also have ad revenue that comes in and all that revenue is given back to or not all of it of course they keep a percentage uh from using their platform but every single stream tells soundcloud or spotify that you're bringing people into the platform and people on, that are on the platform can be subjected either to a subscriber uh, subscription or an advertisement. So every play you're subjected to a royalty fee and they basically collect all of that and send it to you. Got it. That's good to know. So for people who want to take 
the musical path and who aspire to be like you, what would you recommend as a first next step that they can take right now? The first step would be to release something, write something and release it, put it out in the open that you have content um, and be proud of it. And then forget about it. If it's bad, <laughs> just put out something else it's for, for a creative a product is never done until you say it is especially early on, you're wasting a lot of, uh, different ways to tackle the same thing, like creating a song. If you're stuck on perfecting one song, you just have to get over it. It's no one's expecting you to be really good from the get go. I think also it's not just quantity, but having people to tell you, like having peers that you respect, tell you if a song is uh, where you can improve on certain, certain things to eventually have that person to say like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. That's, that's more added value and being able to look at your own stuff and say, okay, I can see where I went wrong here, here, here. And it's like, okay, um, maybe I need to work on my singing. Actually, <laughs> my, my word crafting was kind of subpar over here. Mm, getting that feedback. And lastly, what parting concrete advice do you have for those who are in traditional careers right now? And they're thinking about a less traditional, a more creative one, thinking about going into it. I would say takes when you're on your next paid time off or next vacation, actually try it. Cause sometimes you have like an itch, but when you try it out, when you're consistent with something or you push content out on a consistent basis, you start to realize what's what you like and what you don't like about it. And that's important to know because if that's what you want to do for the rest of your life, if that's the career path you want to switch to, that's what you're going to have to deal with. And on top of that, with the content, you have to market it. And with the marketing, you have to network with different people. You have to actually have a business. There's a, a lot more that goes on than just the creative element. I sound like I'm, I, <laughs> I'm advising to stay away, but it's more so know what you're getting into and once you know that it's something that you really want to do you'll be more confident in making the switch mm, that's so good so where can we find you for your music that people can check out as well as can you talk a little bit about your services as a mixing engineer sure um you can find all of my stuff on keepitinside.com all of my social links and um, music links are on that website as well as my email for me as a mixing engineer, I'm in school for it. So I'm still developing my own personal portfolio. And basically what I do is I give advice on equipment that could be used or different things that can make th the quality of your sound better. So that's, and in terms of mixing, I get all of your, like e either if it's music or if it's a podcast or if it's a video, I get all the audio files and I clean it up just to make it sound a little bit better and to be consistent with basically all the other stuff that's out there. Well, I guess like all the technical stuff to, in order to make sound sound good is uh, what I do as a mixing engineer. Awesome. And where can people contact you for that? Uh, you can contact me on my email, so officialkeepitinside at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this interview and that little bit of song and singing that we had. Yeah, no problem. It was a lot of fun. So many goodies in this episode, right? 
If you can think of one person in particular who would find today's message really helpful on their career change journey, please, please share this episode with them. It can make a huge difference. And see you next week.